Hello there and welcome to Project Business Basics, designed to give you the tools to make smarter financial decisions. Whether you're looking to learn something brand new or just want a refresher on some basic economics, there's a place for everyone on our show. I'm Archie Janarker and I'm your host. today's episode, we're going to be going over a topic that we had alluded to before in several of our previous episodes. A few episodes ago, we had introduced options. And as a brief recap, options are a special method of trading stocks, or any securities for that matter. There are two types of options. There is a call and a put. If you buy a call, you pay a premium, and in exchange then, you have a right to buy an asset at a particular price by the expiration date. And if you buy a put, then you pay a premium and then you have the right to sell an asset at the particular price that's designated in the contract. And in our last episode, we had an interview with a member of Eagle Investors. And in it, we briefly discussed option spreads and we talked about trading options as a whole and some basic tips for doing so. And something that we had alluded to before were what were known as vertical spreads. And vertical spreads are a type of option spread that we're going to be discussing today. Now, to begin with, let's zoom out a little bit and think about just options versus stocks. Options give you more leeway, and they allow you to make money if you have comparatively less money. Think about buying a stock like Microsoft's. If you want to earn a good amount of money with Microsoft, then that means you have to be willing to put up a significant amount of money in the first place if you want to buy a stock. Whereas with options, they allow you to use smaller amounts of money by just paying a premium. By doing that, you're able to either 1. get stocks at cheaper prices, or 2. sell them at better prices, or 3. you're just able to sell contracts off and make a profit off of that. And in essence, what options allow you to do is make money with less money. Now, let's go into options a little more. Essentially with options, what I'm doing is I'm buying a contract. I pay a premium to someone who's willing to sell this contract to me. And let's use an example. Let's say I own a house that's currently worth $100,000. And then I buy a put contract for this house. This put has a strike price of $95,000, meaning that if there's a crash in the housing market, I can get out at $95,000 instead of selling the house at a lower price. And for this put contract, I pay a $500 premium. So this put contract is valid for 30 days. So in case there's an imminent crash, I'm paying $500 in order to be able to sell it for $95,000. Now let's say though, that 20 days in, the house's value is now $110,000. Unlike my worst worries where the housing market would suddenly crash, the house's value has now gone up. Now let's go back to that put contract that I bought earlier. That put contract still has a strike price of $95,000. But what's changed since then? Two things have changed. How much time there is until expiry? If I bought it for 30 days and I'm 20 days in, then that means there's still 10 days left. And the second thing is the value of the house, or the value of the asset. So the way I think about option premiums is in terms of probability. 
and it's not involving the calculation of probability, but rather the comparisons of probabilities. Now, which independently seems less likely? A house going from $100,000 to $95,000 or less within 30 days, or a $110,000 house going to $95,000 or less within 10 days? In that situation, it's the second scenario, where the house's value going from $110,000 to $95,000 in just 10 days is a whole lot less probable than the contract I bought 20 days ago, where the house's value could go from $100,000 to $95,000 within 30 days. And that's how options are priced. The event that's more probable is going to cost more in premium. So 20 days ago, I paid a $500 premium when the house was valued at $100,000. But now that the event is a lot less probable, if someone else wants to get into the same $95,000 strike price contract with the same expiry date as mine 10 days from now, they will end up paying much less because the probability of the house going to $95,000 is much less than what it was 20 days ago. So instead of paying the $500 that I did, they might pay only $100. And the calculations for this new option premium are not proportional. It's not like the house's value went from $100 to $110,000. And so that's a 10% change, so then the premium then decreases by 10%. No, it's based on a multitude of factors, including time. So thinking about it like that, Option contracts are not quite financial assets, but they act a lot like financial assets because their prices fluctuate. And the fact that these prices fluctuate is where options get their value from. This is how people can make money in options. And what you see here with options not quite being financial assets, but getting value from other financial assets leads to options being called derivatives. And if you have experience with calculus, this is a different type of derivative. The derivatives in financial markets are simply put, things that have a value, but that value is derived from other financial assets. They themselves are not assets. Now, the whole point of all of this was to illustrate to you that option contracts have these premiums that change. These premiums, like I said, change based on a variety of factors, things like how much time is left until the option expires, or where is the stock now in comparison to the strike price. And the method of calculating this premium is calculated using variables like these, and these variables are collectively referred to as the Greeks, things like alpha, delta, theta, things like that. We'll talk about them later, but at the moment, they're not that important for understanding options. What you really have to take away is that options, they're not financial assets themselves, but they behave like financial assets in that their prices fluctuate. So now option spreads. Simply put then, option spreads are combinations of different options. They leverage options out. Now let's use an example of Microsoft. I buy a call for Microsoft and Microsoft is currently at around $225 to $230. I buy a $235 strike price call, and I'm seven days out from expiry. 
and for the entire contract I pay a premium of $2. So one contract is 100 shares, so I am paying $200 total in premium. Now let's say though, one day out until expiry, Microsoft's stock price has gone up to 240 And remember, it's one day until expiry. So that means that the value of my call contract has gone up, right? Yes, because the probability of Microsoft crossing 235 six days ago is much less than what it is now. And now the probability is very high because Microsoft is already above 235. Now, if I wanted to execute my call contract, I would need $23,500. And I need that much because one contract is 100 shares. And if I'm executing at a strike price of 235, 235 times 100 is 23,500. Let's say, however, that I don't have $23,500. Does that mean then that I can't realize any gains from this option? No, what you can do then is you can sell the call contract that you bought. Earlier, when you bought it for $2, you paid a total of $200. But now that Microsoft is at $240 and the contract hasn't expired yet, means that the value of this call contract has just increased. So from $2, it might be worth $5. So what I could do then, since I don't have $23,500, I could then sell my call contract to somebody else. And when I sell it, I can sell it at a higher price than what I paid for it. Let's say $5. So I would get $500. And I paid $200 before. So $500 minus $200 is $300. So I still get a profit of $300, even though I wasn't able to afford 100 shares of Microsoft. Now, that's the glory of options, right? You can make money with comparatively less money. But what about if the opposite happened? What if Microsoft never came close to $235 and in fact it fell to $215 and it ends up expiring at $215? So that means then that the value of the call contract I bought is now zero. It's worth nothing. So yes, I didn't lose as much money as I would have if I had just bought the stock outright, but I still lost a substantial amount for me. And think about why I got into this contract in the first place. I didn't have $23,500 to buy Microsoft stock. So that still means though that for me, I'm losing a substantial amount just paying $200 with the premium. So this is where option spreads come in. And what they do is they limit your losses. But on the other side, they also have a high probability of success while limiting your profit. So with option spreads, it's a give and take. Okay, now let's go to vertical spreads. Vertical spreads are a type of option spread. When you engage in a vertical spread, what you do is you use, let's say just two calls with different strike prices, but the same expiry date. And if you're wondering how this works or how it makes money, we'll go through some scenarios and examples to show you how money is made or how losses are limited. But what differentiates vertical spreads from other spreads 
so that all options involved have the same expiry date. Now there are four types of vertical spreads we're going to talk about today. There's a bull call spread, a bull put spread, a bear call spread, and a bear put spread. And I'll explain what each is. So let's start off then with a bull call spread. Now bull call spreads are used when you expect an asset, so we'll substitute the word asset for stock since we're going to be using stocks in all of our examples. So you use a bull call spread if you think an asset is going to increase in value. So let's say then, we think Johnson & Johnson's stock price is going to increase. And the timeline that we're setting this on is September 18th. Right now, at the time of recording, Johnson & Johnson is trading between 150 and 155. And I think that it can go up to the mid to late 160s by September 18th. So the first step then in this bull call spread is I buy a call contract for Johnson & Johnson. This call contract has an expiry date of September 18th. And I'm going to choose a strike price of 162.5. And right now, this premium is 23 cents. So since it's one contract involved, I'm paying $23 then to buy this whole option. Now the second part of the bull call spread is I'm going to sell a call. So the call that I sell is Johnson & Johnson with an expiry date of September 18th. And this one, what I'm going to do is I'm going to select a call with a strike price that's greater than the strike price of the call that I bought before. So the call that I bought had a strike price of 162.5. So for this call that I'm going to sell, it's going to have a strike price that's greater than 162.5. So I'm just going to select 165. And let's do a little test then of what we discussed earlier. If Johnson & Johnson is at, say, 152 right now, which is more probable? It going to 162.5 or it going to 165 by September 18th? Because the difference between 162.5 and 152 is less than the difference between 165 and 152, then the contract with 162.5 is more probable. So that means that the 162.5 option is going to be priced at a higher price than the option that's 165. So I paid $23 on the first contract, and I'm selling the second contract with a strike price of 165, and I'm going to get less money than I paid for the first contract. Just looking at the option chain, the premium for this contract is 10 cents. So I will sell this contract, and I get 10 cents times 100. It's $10. That's $10 coming in to me. So if I pay $23 out, and I'm getting $10 in, then I'm paying a total of $13 for the spread. Now let's go through two scenarios. Let's say September 18th comes around, and Johnson & Johnson is priced at 160, below the strike prices of both my options. So because it's at a price that's lower than both calls, both call contracts that I was involved in are worth nothing. When that happens, then you ask, how much did I end up losing? Because Johnson & Johnson never got as high as I thought it would. 
when you look at how much I lost, the only money I lost was the total premium that I paid initially, $13. Now let's think though, if we had just bought the 162.5 contract and hadn't sold the 165 contract, I had just bought a single call. If we had bought the 162.5 call, then I would have paid $23. And Johnson Johnson was at 160 at the time of expiry. So I would have lost $23 on that transaction, whereas this time I lost only $13. And now let's go over to our second scenario. Our second scenario is if Johnson & Johnson went above what we thought it would go to. Let's say Johnson & Johnson went to $170. So it's above both strike prices that were involved in our transactions. So let's go over then what happens. So Johnson & Johnson is at 170 and we bought a call for 162.5. That means then we can buy one contract of Johnson & Johnson shares at 162.5 instead of paying 170 because we bought that call. So then we bought Johnson & Johnson at 162.5. Now remember though, we also sold a call and that call had a strike price of 165. Now whenever you buy an option, you're the one who has the right. You have the right to exercise. When you sell an option though, that right is placed on the other side of that transaction. So it's safe to assume then, in that scenario with Johnston Johnson being at 170 and you selling a call at 165, the person that's on the other end of that transaction is going to exercise that contract. And oftentimes you don't even have to think about it like that. There are brokers in the middle who will automatically exercise that contract on behalf of the buyer because it is what is known as in the money. So what happens then is that 165 contract is going to get executed from the other side. So what that means for you then is that you have an obligation to sell one contract worth, so 100 shares of Johnson & Johnson at 165. Now think about it. You just bought 100 shares of Johnson & Johnson at 162.5. So what you're going to end up doing then is selling those 100 shares at 165 now. So what's your profit? Your profit ends up being 2.5 because that's the difference between 165 and 162.5 multiplied by 100 because there were 100 shares and then you subtract $13 out because $13 was the total premium you paid at the very beginning of this transaction. And so your maximum profit on this option spread is $237. Now you may be wondering, what if I wanted to make more than $237? What if I just decided to get rid of the option spread? Well, you could do that then by selling that call for a higher premium and then buying back the 165 call for a lower premium. And yes, you can do that and you can even make money from it. But the way the math works is that the most money you can make is if you exercise the option at the time of expiry. And like I mentioned before, all of this is based on what are known as the Greeks. So they're calculated in a very specific way so that the maximum profit you can get only occurs if you buy those Johnson Johnson shares at 162.5 
and then sell them at 165. Now let's go over then to a second type of option spread, a bull put spread. And a bull put spread works similarly to a bull call spread. You think an asset's price is going to increase? Then you could do this just like how a bull call spread expects the asset to increase in value. Where it's different though, is that with the bull call spread, you're buying and selling calls. With the bull put spread, you're buying and selling puts. So what this might look like is you buy a put for Johnson & Johnson expiring September 18th, with the strike price of 147. And this option contract is valued at 1.06. So that means for one contract, you pay $106 for buying this put that has a 147 strike price. And then the second part of the spread is that you sell another put. And this put that you're selling has a higher strike price than the put you just bought. So the put that we're going to sell is going to have a higher strike price than the $147 put that we just bought. So it's going to be some number that's higher than 147. And for our example's sake, we'll use a put of 149. So this option that we're selling has an expiry date of September 18th and a strike price of 149. Now if Johnson & Johnson is between 150 and 155, which is more probable? Johnson & Johnson's price falling below 149 or below 147? The 149 scenario is going to be more probable. And what that means for us is that the 149 put we're selling is more probable. So the premium that's involved in it is more valuable than the premium of the 147 put that we just bought. And this 149 put is valued at 1.61 right now. So if we sell this put, that means somebody is giving us $161 for this one contract in exchange for the right to sell shares at 149. And so in total, we paid $106 to buy the 147 put, and we got $161 to sell the 149 put. And in total, we're getting $56 paid to us. So let's go over then our two scenarios. Let's say on September 18th, Johnson & Johnson is at 160. So what does that mean for the options that we were engaged in? Well, in order for those puts to be worth anything, Johnson & Johnson's stock price has to be below their strike price. They have to be in the money. Well, 160 is above both 147 and 149. So that means the put contract that we bought, as well as the put contract that we sold, are both worth nothing. So what's left from that? Well, in that case, the $56 in total premium that we received at the beginning is our total profit in that scenario. Now going over to our second scenario for this bull put spread, let's say that Johnson & Johnson is at 145 on September 18th. What does that mean then for the options contract we were involved in? It's more valuable to be able to sell your shares at a higher price. So that means the 149 contract is worth more than the 147 contract. So remember how I talked about at the time of expiry, your options will be executed if they're in the money? Well, both of these options are in the money. So that 147 put 
is executed as well as the 149 put. So let's look at the 149 put that we sold. Think about it. We sold a put. Essentially what we did is we promised someone else that we would buy their shares at $149 and in exchange they gave us $161. So we are obligated to, in that instant when they execute their option, to buy their Johnson Johnson shares from them for $149 per share. So we buy their shares for $149. Now let's go over to the put contract that we bought. When we bought that put contract, we are paying a premium. That premium was 1.06. And in exchange, we had the right to sell our shares at $147. And the way to think about it then is like this. Would you rather sell the shares at 145 where they're trading now? Or would you rather sell them at 147? Which is what that put we bought enables us to do. So then you execute that put option that you bought and you sell those 100 shares that you bought at 149 for 147. And remember, this is the worst case scenario. So your maximum loss ends up being 149 minus 147, so two, times 100 because there were 100 shares involved. So 200 minus those $56 that we received at the beginning. So 200 minus 56. So our total loss for this option spread in the worst case scenario is $144. Okay, now let's look at a bear call spread. So let's just dissect those words a little bit. We had earlier talked about a bull call spread and a bull put spread. Now bulls and bears represent different things in the stock market. Bulls are referring to the stock market going up, bears refer to the stock market going down. In both scenarios, the bull call spread and the bull put spread, in the best case, we were expecting the stock to go up in value. Well, in vertical spreads, with bear in them, that means we're expecting the asset to go down in value. And the second part of the spread, call, tells us that this bear spread is going to have calls involved in it. So we're thinking that the price of the stock is going to go down, and we're going to try to profit off of that using call options. So using the same stock, Johnson & Johnson, it's still trading between 150 and 155. What we do is we buy a call for Johnson & Johnson. and this call, we're going to buy it for a 165 strike price. And this 165 strike price has a premium of 10 cents. So we pay a total then of $10 to buy this call. Now where it differs from a bull call spread is earlier for a bull call spread, for the second call that we sold, we chose a call that had a strike price greater than the strike price of the call that we bought. Well, with the bear call spread, since you're expecting the asset to go down in value, you're going to sell a call with the strike price that's less than the strike price of the call that we bought. So the first call that we bought had a strike price of 165. So we're going to sell a call with a strike price that's less than 165. Let's say 160. And so think about the probabilities here. Johnson & Johnson is between 150 and 155. Which has a higher probability of occurring? It going above 160 or it going above 165? 
the one with the higher probability is going to be it going above 160. So the call contract with a strike price of 160 is going to have a premium that's higher than the premium of the 165 contract. The premium of the 165 contract was 10 cents, the one that we bought, so we paid $10. So the premium of this call contract that we're selling with a strike price of 160 is 39 cents. 39 cents times 100 is $39 that we're selling. So we get $39 in. So in total, we're getting $29 coming in to us. Now let's go over then to our scenarios. Let's say Johnston Johnson goes up slightly, but essentially it stays flat. It goes to 158. You may be thinking, well 158 is above what it was trading before. But for our purposes, what really matters to us is that Johnston Johnson's stock price is below the lowest strike price involved in our spread. The lowest strike price between 160 and 165 was 160. So what matters here is that Johnston Johnson finished below 160. So think about our call contracts. What happens to them? If Johnston Johnson is below our call contracts, are our call contracts in the money? No, they're not in the money. They're instead referred to as out of the money. And when that happens, those options essentially expire and they expire worthless. So what happens then? Well, in that case, our maximum profit is equal to the premium that we collected, that $29 in total that we got from buying and selling these calls. And that's the best case scenario. Now the worst case scenario is let's say we were totally wrong and Johnson Johnson finishes at 167, a price that's higher than both of the strike prices involved in our spread. So what happened then to the calls that were involved? Well, both of those calls are what are referred to as in the money, so they'll end up getting executed. So that call contract with a strike price of 165 gets executed. So we buy 100 shares of Johnson Johnson at $165. And you may initially think, wait, isn't that great? We bought the shares at 165 and right now they're selling in the market at 167. So we can sell those shares at 167 and make a profit of $2 per share. But no, this is in fact where the downside of vertical spreads become evident. There's that second leg involved where we sold a call with the strike price of 160. So that contract now is in the money and it gets executed. And we promise to sell 100 shares of Johnson Johnson to somebody else at $160. So those 100 shares that we bought at 165 get sold for $160. And that then is a loss of $5 per share times 100 shares, so $500, minus those $29 that we took in initially as part of the net premium. So our total loss ends up becoming 500 minus 29 or $471. Okay, now let's go over to our final vertical spread that we're going to talk about. And this vertical spread is the bear put spread. Now bear put spreads, just like bear call spreads, expect the assets to go down in value. And you know that because of the word bear in them. But as you guess, instead of dealing with calls like a bear call spread, a bear put spread involves puts. And so for example this time, we're going to buy a Johnson Johnson put 
expiring September 18th. And we're going to choose a strike price of 148. And the premium that we're paying for this is $1.14. Or in total for one contract, it's $114. Now, to form the spread, the second part is we sell a put. And this time, when we sell the put, the strike price of this put that we're selling is going to be less than the 148 strike price of the put that we bought before. So we're going to pick a put with a strike price of 146. Same expiry date, September 18th. But the difference here is that the strike price is 146. And consequently then, the premium that we're receiving on selling this put is 78 cents, or $78 in total. So we're spending $114 to buy a put, and then we're getting $78 in return for selling a 146 strike price put. Then our total net premium is $36, and that's $36 that we're paying out. Now let's head over then to our two scenarios. Our first scenario is Johnson & Johnson is at 150. And remember, whenever we engaged in the option spread initially, Johnson & Johnson was between 150 and 155. Our first scenario says on September 18th, Johnson & Johnson finishes at 150. So it's above the strike prices of both puts that we were involved in. And consequently, those puts are known as out of the money. And because they're out of the money on expiry, they expire worthless. So that means our maximum loss was the total premium that we paid. In other words, the $36 that we paid when engaging in the option spread. Now our second scenario though, is if Johnson Johnson falls below where it was before. Let's say Johnson Johnson finishes at 145 on September 18th. Well, those puts that we bought and sold, they don't expire worthless. They have intrinsic value now that Johnson Johnson's stock price is below the strike prices of our puts. So what ends up happening then is that those puts end up being executed. Now the first put, the one we bought, means that we have to sell 100 shares at $148. Well, where are we going to get 100 shares of Johnson & Johnson? Through the second put that we sold. Selling a put means that we're obligated to buy the stock at the strike price if it's in the money at expiry. So we buy 100 shares of Johnson & Johnson at 146 because we sold that second put. And then using the first put that we bought, we then sell those 100 shares back, but this time for $148 allowing us to make a profit of $2 per share. So $2 per share times 100 shares is 200 minus the $36 that we paid in net premium, leaving us with $164 in total profit. And that's the maximum profit that can be achieved on this deal. So you may have noticed then that we talked about two situations where we expected the stock price to go up in the best case. Those were the bull call spread and the bull put spread. And we also talked about two types of vertical spreads where we expected the stock price to go down or remain flat in the best case. And those were the bear call spread and the bear put spread. Now you may be wondering though, let's say I expect an asset's price to increase. So then how do I decide then whether to do a bull call spread or a bull put spread? 
we'll think back to a difference between the bull call spread and the bull put spread. What's different? If you remember, in the bull call spread, what happened was we paid a total premium and our maximum loss on that spread was the total premium that we paid. Whereas our maximum profit was the difference between the strike prices minus the premium that we paid. Whereas with this bull put spread, we received a net premium. And that was our maximum profit. While our maximum loss was the difference between the strike prices minus the net premium. So this is where bull call spreads and bull put spreads differ. In one of the spreads, at the outset, you receive money. Whereas in the other one, you give money. And depending on whether you receive or pay money initially, that number will either be your maximum profit or your maximum loss. And the receipt or payment of these premiums is what ends up differentiating these spreads. And the terms for these types of spreads involve debit and credit. And yes, I know we've talked about debit and credit here on Project Business Basics in the context of accounting, and I know this is going to be even more confusing. But it's best if you just create different compartments for debit and credit in accounting and debit and credit when it comes to vertical spreads. Because they mean different things, and it'll unnecessarily confuse you if you try to combine them or come up with a standard definition. So let's look at debit and credit in terms of vertical spreads. In credit spreads, when you hear the term credit spreads, that means that you are initially receiving money. The net premium is money that's coming into you. And the net premium that's coming into you is your maximum profit. And then a debit spread is where you are initially paying money with the premium. So that's money going out. And remember that. Credit spreads, the premiums initially come to you, and that represents your maximum profit. Or debit spreads, the money initially goes out from you, and that represents your maximum loss. So now, let's think back to the examples we went through, and identify which spreads are credit spreads, and which spreads are debit spreads. So our first one was a bull call spread. A bull call spread is a debit spread. Because remember, we paid a premium to buy a call, and then we sold a call with the higher strike price. The call that we sold had a higher strike price, meaning it had a lower premium. So the money we got from that call that we sold was less than the money that we paid to buy the call with the lower strike price. So bull call spreads, where money goes out, that's a debit spread. Now bull put spreads. Bull put spreads, we bought a put. And then we bought another put with the higher strike price. And the put with the higher strike price is going to cost more. So the one that we sold, we received more money than we paid for the put with the lower strike price. So in total, we received money in that scenario. So bull put spreads are credit spreads. Now bear call spreads are ones where we buy a call and then we sell a call with the lower strike price. So the one with the lower strike price is going to cost more than the one with the higher strike price. So the one that we're selling is the one with the lower strike price. So we're receiving more money than we're paying. So our net premium ends up coming to us. And therefore, bear call spreads are credit spreads. And then finally, we talked about bear put spreads. 
where you buy a put and then you sell a put with a lower strike price. Now when comparing puts, the ones with higher strike prices are more expensive than ones with lower strike prices. So the one we bought had the higher strike price. So we are paying more than we are receiving. So the net premium is going out. So bear put spreads then are debit spreads. I hope you enjoyed that episode and learned something from it. If you're looking for recommendations for good investing in business books, I encourage you to check out the Project Business Basics blog and also sign up for the Project Business Basics newsletter. You can do all of this through the Project Business Basics website, which is www.businessbasics.online. Also, make sure to check out our social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter with the username at P-R-O-J-B-I-Z-Basics. I'm Archie Janarker. This is Project Business Basics. Thanks for listening.